and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantal. And I'm Amy. And I am back. Wow, it was a good time with Amy and Zach, but now you get me again. I'm so sorry. We had fun, but also editing is a pain in the butt, guys. You did an amazing job. I'm super proud of you. We had, we had fun. It was nice. Um, it was a nice little change of pace, I think, for uh, the listeners as well. And you got to move across the country, so that's fun. I did. I did move across the country, and now I'm in a different place with different acoustics. So I hope it's good. And a different time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Amy? So today, um, because like you're still unpacking and you're still you know figuring out your new life, you just got groceries delivered. We're gonna be doing Paper Towns by John Green because it is easy to do. So. The premise of this show is books we read in our undergrad, and technically, we did read this book in our undergrad, not for our undergrad, but in. Might I also say that we have highly diverted from things we read in our undergrad? It's it's a premise, and um, we play fast and loose, like things written before the medieval times played fast and loose with history and it's fine but we did read this when we lived together yeah and we just sat there every night and read this out loud together and it was very wholesome and i loved it so much and it was hilarious and unfortunately because like i don't live with my parents and you now live in a different province neither of us have the copies that we had which means we have none of our notes for it but we've taken notes i'm sorry None of us have our notes for it because we don't have the copy. Does that mean you took notes in your book? Well, of course. You know I you know I write in my books with pencil, but I still write in my books. I just forgot that was a thing about you. Yeah, I write LOL so that when I go back and look <laughs> at them, I can remember that it made me LOL. Oh, I did that the first time I read The Princess Bride and then I lost that copy of The Princess Bride. So I lost all my first impressions of my favorite book and I'm heartbroken about it. Yeah, that would do it. So I write in my books and I have like, sometimes I have question marks and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Or like foreshadowing question mark. So you're like an active reader. Yeah, I like to tell the book how I feel about it on its pages. No, that's fair. Probably better than what I do currently, which is just, this is a book. I'm going to read it. Every page is a surprise. Every page is a new adventure. What is foreshadowing? I don't know her. Oh, well, I, w- I would write LOL here if this was a book. Yes. If only. Maybe we are a book. Maybe we're all a book. Man, if we're all a book, I'm really happy that my book character got a dog. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Not that many book characters have dogs. But you know who does have a dog? Who? Margot Roth Spiegelman from Paper Towns. And we're back on topic. (laughs) She does. What's the name of her dog again? Um, Myrna Mount Weasel. Yes. Oh, such a cute. Yes. Also a rascal. She is a rascal. She barks a lot and she is a dry plot point for the entire first part of the book. So want to jump into that? Yeah, she's nothing like June and that's all that matters. Okay, so um, before we get into it, there is a content warning for mentions of suicide and a very brief mention of an eating disorder. So if that's going to make you feel icky inside, we'll let you know when it's coming up. Also, I probably want to point out that there is mention of the confederate flag so if that makes you angry know that it's spoken about very well like not they're speaking of it well they're speaking they're covering the topic well yes yes good yes don't speak well of the confederate flag they speak of the confederate flag in a very interesting manner and they handle it very well excellent thanks good recovery thanks i mean so so this book starts out with a little prologue 
which is not in the same time as the rest of the book. It's when our main character and his friend are nine years old. We open up on nine-year-old Quentin Jacobson, also known as Q, and Margot Roth Spiegelman. They are riding their bikes to a park and they find a dead body. Um, There's going to be a suicide mention here. Quentin is obviously shaken, but Margot is intrigued and she's the one who gets closer and it looks like the man has shot himself in the head. And it's it's just like a weird one-off experience, but it kind of forms like a vague, long-lasting bond between these two. And then we cut to nine years later. They are both in grade 12 of high school, or if you are American, they are seniors. They've drifted apart and Quentin's like this nerd now. He's got two good friends, Ben and Radar, and he also has a huge crush on Margot. Margot is super popular. She's got a jock boyfriend named Jace. She's got a best friend named Becca. Those two names are really the only important names for now. She's also got other friends, Karen and Lacey, one of whom is going to be important much later. It's Lacey. <laughs> Spoilers. So as 18-year-olds, seniors in high school, uh, Marco knocks on Q's window in the middle of the night and she's like, I need to borrow your car. And he's like, I'm not going to lend you my mom's car, but I'll drive you wherever you need to go. Where she does need to go is her friend Karen told her that her boyfriend Jace was sleeping with her best friend Becca. The drama. The drama. And she wants to go on a revenge spree. This podcast does not condone revenge, by the way. I don't know. Iniko Montoya is my favorite character ever. Amy does not condone revenge. Okay, so uh, she takes very creative revenge on Jace and Becca and also on Lacey, who didn't tell her that Jace was cheating on her. There's a fish. There's spray paint. It's a lot of fun. Yes, it's kind of like the horse head thing from The Godfather. Like she puts a fish in someone's car and she's like, your friendship with Marco Ross Beagleman sleeps with the fishes. It's very... Very good. I haven't seen The Godfather. <laughs> they don't do a fish. They do something else. Okay. Can I tell you what? Um, no, I'd rather not be spoiled The Godfather because I haven't been spoiled The Godfather, except for the fact that there's a guy named Fredo and he's uh, Diane Keating's other brother-in-law. That's shocking that you haven't had it spoiled for you. Yeah. This is the only thing I know about anything in classic movies <laughs> that I haven't seen. It's on my list, but it's also like four hours long, so... And I need to be in a mood for it, and I have not been. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, okay, so she goes godfather on them. <laughs> and then they have a weird date in this corporate building called the Sun Trust Building. That might be a huge thing in Florida, but I'm Canadian, so I don't know what it is. It's just a big corporate building. I always thought that it was like Sun Life, you know? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it could be like an insurance thing, like a bank. I don't know, add John Green. Listen to our podcast. At John Green, what is it? Um, Marco says a lot of vague things about not liking her life in suburban Orlando. She calls it a paper town full of paper people, meaning they're like flimsy and empty and they don't have any substance to them. Fake. They're like blank people. Then they come down and Marco wants to take revenge on one more person for Q. And she suggests Chuck, who is a guy who told all the girls at this middle school dance not to dance with Q. And then they go and they like take one of his eyebrows and cover all his doorknobs in Vaseline and stuff. And then Q's like, hey, um, aren't you like friends with Chuck? And she's like, eh. So we might get closure on that later, but I don't remember it. I don't think we do. I think it was just like Margot being like, oh, like I was a popular kid. So I hung out with the popular kids, but like doesn't mean I like them. Yeah, that's fair. 
She was kind of like the glue holding the popular kids together and making them not bully all the other kids. Yeah, she was like their conscience and then it went away when they fucked each other. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. They being Jason Becca. Oh, yes. Um, so then they do one more thing and they break into SeaWorld through a moat. Fuck SeaWorld. Where they definitely could have been eaten by alligators because they're in Florida. Th- that's an actual plot point. Q's all like, oh no, alligators. It's like, why are you doing it then? Just don't do it. It would be really easy not to do it. Uh, but they do it. Because she's a hot girl. Yeah. So SeaWorld is bad and it's got all these like animals in captivity and it's bad and mario's like oh their their homes are more real than our homes their lives are more real than our lives and it's like uh not strictly true margo you both live in suburban hell and them more so probably because you can like leave yeah fair which she does the next day she is not at school q tells us it's normal for her to disappear she like regularly runs away and apparently she does really odd and mysterious things like you know join the circus i mean how much of this is real and how much of this is margo like sat down at her computer and did sweet fuck all for a day and then was like i need to be cool i'm guessing most of it was that (laughs) or she like went and sat in a mini mall for a day and was like hmm yes i joined the circus that's what i did with my time at John Green, let us know. So as time goes on, Margot becomes an official missing person because, you know, you have to wait a little bit because she's 18. She's an adult. Yeah. It's not like they can be like, oh, she's been missing for three hours. Call the police. Um, so a detective comes and he seems very familiar with Margot. He, he's on to her. He knows her deal. And he reminds them that Margot leaves clues when she leaves, typically. See, can I just point out that Margot is kind of a bitch? Uh, you can point that out. I'd like to point it out here because I need to. I find it really annoying that she leaves clues and that she's toying with these people's emotions. Not just Q, but like even this cop who's like, oh, you know, she probably left some clues. Like, we don't really care. Like, this is just who she is as a person. She'll turn up eventually kind of thing. Like, how much of a narcissist do you have to be, Margot? That's actually something I want to talk about later. I'll table it. Yeah, I have a point. This is culminating too. So Q hears this about the clues and he takes it upon himself to find her. He's going to be the one to follow the clues because he was the last one who saw her. Margot's friend Lacey also gets involved because she actually didn't know Jason and Becca were sleeping together and she was super hurt that Margot thought she betrayed her. Because Margot's a bitch. Don't assume things about people when you assume. Also, I know I'm calling her a bitch and she happens to be a woman, but if she was a man, I would also call her a bitch. Mm-hmm. You called Hamlet a little bitch, so that is confirmed. Hashtag confirmed. Yeah, so Q also becomes a little bit of a bitch to his friends and he leads them on a super wild goose chase and he ditches them on prom night to sit in an abandoned mini mall all night. Eventually the clues lead him to Radar's like knockoff Wikipedia website where he finds a paper town called Eglo. And a paper town here means like a fake town that cartographers made to catch people copying their work. They're also called phantom settlements. Or at least that's what they basically had to rename them after paper towns got famous. Oh no. Yeah. That is a fun fact. So the page says that Eglo's population is zero, but there's a comment with Margot's weird 
capitalization system. She likes to capitalize random words. And it says the population will actually be one until May 29th at noon. Suicide trigger warning. And since Q has been following these clues and getting more and more suspicious that Margot is going to kill herself, he suspects that she is going to kill herself on that day at that time. And he needs to rush to save her. Because for some reason, he thinks he's her savior. Yes. Which is also a problem. Uh, yeah. So he enlists Ben and Radar's help to drive him from Florida to New York, which is a very far drive. Soup's far. And they only have 72 hours to do it. So they have like six minutes to stop and they only get to stop like five times or something. Yeah. And then they go on a very dramatic road trip with Lacey, which is hilarious. I love the road trip section. But it's also underpinned by this like absolute dread that if they don't make it in time, Margot might not be there. Yeah. My favorite part of the book has nothing to do with Margot, but everything to do with the road trip because the hijinks that happen are hilarious. The hijinks are just so top tier. Like the convenience store bit where they have six minutes or four minutes or something at a convenience store while Radar pumps gas and they grab like shirts because they're naked in graduation gowns. Brilliant. That's where the, the Confederate shirt comes in because they just grab a shirt because obviously like people need shirts and the only one they have is like a Confederate flag one and they give it to Radar who's black. So eventually he's just like, I'm not, I know. And he just turns it inside out. So he's like wearing this like nightgown-ish length shirt because it's also like an xx large inside out and it's much better like that much better some might say that's a fashion statement and a positive one of that we love hijinks we love that when they almost hit a cow and then they don't but then they have to wait for like a repair truck like a caa yeah like their caa it's just good times all around yeah but it's it's much funnier on the second read through because you're kind of sitting there like oh yeah they almost hit a cow and then they didn't but oh Margot might also be gone when they get there, so that's not good. So yeah, hijinks happen, and they do get to Aglo, and they find Margot. And she's sitting at a desk, and she's writing, and she's, like, super rude to them for no reason. She's sitting there, and she's, like, ignoring them as they're talking to her, and they're like, uh, Margot. And then she's kind of, like, brushing them off. And then we have our little reunion scene finally, and Q's like, hey, what was with the, uh, what was with that? And she's like, oh, because you, you scared me. I was surprised. And it's like, that's not really a good reason. Your friends came all this way to save you, to rescue you, and you just ignored them, and that's not nice. Yeah. And then they kiss a little, and Q tries to convince Mario to come home, but she goes to New York City instead, and that's the book. Yeah. So can we talk about how she's mean now? Yeah. So the book is a deconstruction of manic pixie dream girls, right? Right. So Q always saw Margot as like this perfect, strange, mysterious girl. And then throughout the book, he realizes that she and everyone else aren't just background characters to his life. They're actually people with their own lives. Their own individual people, yeah. Yeah. Or if you're talking in video game terms, they're not NPCs. They are just other PCs. This is a multiplayer game. Yes. This is a very multiplayer game of life. Except, you know who also needs to learn this lesson? Margot. Is Margot. Yeah. Margot doesn't know this. Her Paper Towns rant is literally about how people don't have any substance. She ditches her parents and her sister, who obviously love her very much, and then she freaks everyone out, and she has no intent on coming back. Uh, and even if she did, like, that's a terrible way to do it. Yeah, and, like, she gets mad at her friends. Like, she gets mad at Q because, like, she left and 
didn't want him to come find her. He just figured it out. And she's like, oh, you came here for, like for your own reason. It's really egotistical. And it's like, no, Marker, you're the egoist here. Yeah, like why leave the clues if you didn't want people to find the clues? She was thinking people would find the clues and it would be too late and they would be like, huh, there are some clues. But it's like, that's not good either. No, it's it feels like a bad call for help for like just the attention like she's she's like a junkie for the attention and like this is how she gets it because she's probably like forgotten because people think of her as just like this popular girl and she's tired of thinking of herself being like vapid or whatever so she constructs herself as like this mysterious girl who goes away and it's like you're putting yourself in danger one you're putting other people in danger because you know they're gonna try to find you you're also giving a lot of grief to everybody around you you're being a dick Margot. yeah like the point of the book is that that Q thinks she's perfect and she is deeply flawed. But I just think it's ironic that Q gets to learn the lesson that people are complex and Margot never seems to. And Margot's the one who needs to learn it the most. Margot's fake complex. She thinks she's complex and she like creates this vision of herself for other people where she is mysterious and whatever. And like she's not like the other girls. But girl, you're like the other girls, you know? <laughs> she wants to be unique just like everyone else. Yeah, and like, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, wanting to be unique. Fine, I guess we all want to have that own little spark of our own. But at the same time, you can do that without hurting other people. Yeah. She puts herself on the pedestal and Q just notices her, you know? And honestly, it's hard not to. Like, if you yeah. have someone that you were friends with when you were a kid, and then suddenly she, like, regularly disappears and then comes back with stories about how how she joined like a theater troupe for a week um yeah you'd notice I think you would notice yeah and you'd be like oh wow she seems so cool why aren't we friends anymore and then you try to be friends with her and then she'd disappear and you try to find her yeah and I mean it all makes sense John Green writes good books so Leaves of Grass, which is mentioned in this, like has a lot of references to, you know, imagining people complexly and like containing multitudes. We went over this already. But like the poem's misinterpreted within the book as well. Oh yeah, for sure. And Q like doesn't understand it. Like he's like he understands the parts by themselves and like the words, but like as a whole he doesn't understand it. Like he doesn't understand that people have multiple facets to their lives and other people's lives don't like revolve around you, you know? Like he does eventually. Eventually, but like I mean, it takes him a while to get there. It takes him, it takes him almost the whole book. Yeah. But Marco misinterprets that poem too. Like, yeah. I think she herself does kind of a surface reading of it. Yes. I think she just likes the way the lines sound on their own and she doesn't really pay attention to the rest of it. Or she reads like, Song of Myself. Hmm, this is about me and nobody else. Nobody else needs to be complex, only Margot. Yeah. One of the clues that they have to find her is there's two lines highlighted in Song of Myself and the lines are unscrew the locks from the doors unscrew the doors themselves from their jams and Q figures out part of it like he figures out what she means and then he enlists his English teacher to help him figure out like what it really means and the English teacher is talking about like how the line is about craving freedom and the whole poem is about the beauty of life and how it's a celebration of life and being free and being yourself and everyone's complex and it could be a hint about why Margot ran away and then Q's like oh yeah actually it was a clue to unscrew my my bedroom door from its hinges to find the next clue and the teacher's like so disappointed that she did such a surface level reading of that particular line and it's hilarious yeah if i remember correctly margot also misinterprets the like death is like freedom from living lines i don't know if she does suicide trigger warning because 
that's kind of the reason that Q thinks that she has killed herself is because she's highlighted a bunch of these lines, except she's just like run away to New York. Right. She's like highlighting them in her moody, edgy, goth girl face. Yeah, it's like her version of liking Tim Burton movies. If Margot had a Tumblr, it would just be dark quotes, like just like pages (laughs) from books highlighted, but like just the sad parts. Yeah. Like, we accept the love we think we deserve. Oh, no. And she doesn't accept any love because she runs away from all of it. Yeah. I mean, she's probably a little bit depressed. She's definitely got something going on mental health wise. Yeah. I'm not sure what. I mean, we're not psychologists. It's definitely like she's not the pinnacle of mental health. No, if you open a visual dictionary, her face isn't next to good mental health. No, (laughs) but neither is ours. So, (laughs) But I'm while we're talking about, you know, people growing throughout the, the novel and like figuring themselves and figuring other people out, I think it's good to bring in the fact that this is a buildings romance, like a coming of age story. Yeah. In that, you know, even though we, we say that Margot isn't doing great, she's not the nicest person, like her coming of age story is leaving Jefferson Park and is leaving like her past and her friends behind to go for a bigger city because she thinks geography is going to fix her problems, which it won't. But that's how like her coming of age story isn't necessarily done whereas Q's coming of age story kind of wraps itself up when they go back home you know yeah explain expand so like he needed to start to see people as more than what he thought he was interpreting from them you know and he did that with Margot at the end like he figured that out he's accomplished that that part of his video game he can move on to the next part right so like he's finished the tutorial of life so to speak <laughs> and now he gets to like go to like university or college or whatever he does i don't know how american school system works it's university but they call it college and then he can go on there and go to school and like the next people he's gonna meet like he may see them as more than just what he like surface level you know yeah and i hope he appreciates them as much as he should have appreciated his wonderful wonderful friends here i love his friends so much his friends really make the novel like ben is hilariously um, oh my god like he's a little shit you know he is a little shit yes and it's great ben has the best lines like yeah. when q has to pick him up from the after prom party and he's doing a keg stand and he's never had a drink before and he's like quentin jacobson yes and i love him and then he like glues a beer can sword to his hand i forgot about the sword and he's just a gem of a person i love ben he's not like the popular kid but he's like the kid that everybody kind of like sees around the around the school and they just say hi to him because he just he oozes that kind of like fun time yes like he's clearly a nerd a little dork and he has such charisma yeah he's just pure charisma he's a spark of joy in my life yeah does he end up with Lacey in the book i don't remember yes okay see ben and Lacey are the real romantic gem of this book it's true it's true and radar and angela also but angela doesn't go with them no but they do have a cute relationship radar and angela it's just off page and i'm glad they explore it more in the movie which we'll get into later yes but uh radar is also a gem he has his omnictionary website that he friends and his parents have the world's largest collection of black santas which he brings up all the time he's been doing a lot of work looking for margo in the background while q has like hecked off to brood and ignore his friends and q finds out later and he's like oh i should have appreciated you more radar you're a really nice guy his real name is marcus lincoln can you believe that marcus how cute. Radar's better. I like Radar better. It fits him. Um, okay, so speaking of the movie. We are speaking of the movie. We're speaking of the movie now. 
amazing casting all around oh my god so perfect flawless the kid who plays ben was just chef's kiss each of the people could not match their book character any better than they do the casting for radar and angela the casting for ben and lacy q and margo are like whatever i think they're a little bit older than the rest of the cast so they look older than the rest of the cast but it's like you know they fit i only had slight issues with margo's casting um being carla delavine is that her name cara delavine yeah the only like small issue i had with that was that paper towns like first edition covers have a margo on them and i had a really hard time yeah i had a really hard time getting rid of her face from my imagination kind of thing. Like every time Margo was on the screen, I was like, that doesn't look like Margo. And it's something I think that John Green like has talked about in one of the Vlogbrothers videos during Paper Towns. But you know, eventually I got used to it and it was fine. But I also like, I saw this movie in an empty movie theater. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> Which was a great experience. I was able to like cry and laugh and yell at the TV screen all by myself. Incredible. I had to drive two hours to see it. And you were still the only one there. It was the only movie theater for two hours around. And you were the only person. Yeah, I think I was like three weeks late though to like the viewings. I think it was like on its tail end, but still. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um. So what do you think of the movie? I really liked it. I really loved, like as we mentioned earlier, the addition of Angela. I think she's cute as a button. Love her. And it was great. She's also in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And every time I see her, I'm like, it's Angela. But, you know, she can be Roz too. So in the book, Angela is there, but she's not really there. Like she's mentioned, but we don't really meet her a lot. Radar kind of hides her from his friends because he's like embarrassed that his friends are so weird. (laughs) And he's embarrassed that his family has a house full of the world's largest collection of black Santas. And uh, we don't really see her a lot. Yeah, said the guy who runs a Wikipedia but that's not wikipedia your friends are the weird ones okay Uh, that's true um and in the movie angela finds out that he's hiding her from his friends and she's like no i want to meet your friends and she comes on the road trip because she makes him bring her on the road trip she has a lovely on-screen friendship with lacy and two girls are friends with each other on the screen what like two really pretty girls are friends with each other yeah and they're not jealous of each other and they have great conversations Asians and I love them together. Yeah. Lacey has a better arc too. Yeah. In the book she approaches Ben and Q to talk about Margot and she agrees to go to prom with Ben and it's the first time they've spoken. Yeah. Ben is like, by the way, do you want to go to prom with me? And she's like, sure, whatever. You know, I have nothing else going on. I just broke up with my boyfriend. Like she has no autonomy. She has no free will of her own. It's just the will of the book to give Ben exactly what he wants. In the movie, she and Ben form like an actual connection before he even asks her to go to prom. Yeah. I read about like John Green's writing style the other day because he did an AMA for the Anthropocene Reviewed and they were asking about his like writing style and it's like he'll write a bunch of stuff and his favorite part of writing is like cutting stuff down. So he just likes to delete, you know? Okay, yeah. Delete, rewrite, delete, rewrite, delete, you know? Yeah. I imagine that maybe in some of the early drafts, perhaps, Perhaps, you know, meeting wasn't as 
abrupt. Like, it is a building's roman, and it's a building's roman for every character involved. So Ben gets to, like, grow up into the wish-fulfilled popular guy he wants to be, and he gets to go out with, like, the prettiest girl, and he gets to, like, go to the after-prom party, and he gets to have a beer can sword, and it's awesome. Yeah. And he has a great time, and I'm happy for him, but I love that Lacey gets more. She gets much more fleshed out in the movie. Movie. Yeah. Other points in the movie. Margot is much more likable. Yes, I agree. I have lent this book to two people and both those people were like, I can't read this. Margot is the worst person ever. Yeah, Margot's a lot better in the movie because I feel like she's more fleshed out, you know? I don't know if I would say that. Oh, well, I feel like she's more fleshed out in how she reacts to people. Like her reaction at the end isn't as flippant, I guess. Yeah, it's much more natural. It's much more something you could see someone actually doing instead of like, oh, I'm just gonna sit here and write at my desk and not look up at you, even though I haven't seen another person in three weeks. Yeah, it's a lot less like, oh, I didn't want you to follow me. Like, I'm gonna go to New York now. And it's much more like I was having a really hard time at home. I needed to leave. I want to find myself. Like, this is why I'm here. Like, You didn't have to come all this way, but I still have some ways to go, you know? Yeah, she's not even at Eglo when they go and they like turn around and Q goes into a nearby town to like mope because that's what he does. And he finds her there and she's like, oh, it's Q. What what? What are you doing here? You know, like a normal person. Yeah. And like in the movie, like specified, like she's still in contact with her little sister. Yes, very important. One of the things that the two people I lent the book to said is that they didn't like that she just left and didn't tell her younger sister Ruthie where she was going. Yeah. And in the movie, Q's like, you should call your sister. She misses you. And she's like, we talk every day. Yeah. I do find that Q is more mopey in the movie, but I don't know if, if that's just like how Nat Wolf is. <laughs> I think you might be misremembering the book if you think he's not that mopey in the book as well. <laughs> well, he's mopey in the book, but I also feel like he's determined in the book. Or maybe that's just how I read him to you. Like, I read him as, like, a go-getter when he wasn't. Maybe. It could have been your voice acting. Maybe. That made him better. Q is better in the in the movie as well, I thought. I liked him better in the movie. Okay. Like, he doesn't ditch his friends at prom. Right. In the book, he, like, sits in a mall for all of prom. And he's like, no, I don't need to go to prom. I just need to sit here and think about Margot. But in the movie... The prom happens after. Yeah, it happens after. Like, the reason... Uh, trigger warning about suicide. They don't think Margot's going to kill herself. The sense of urgency is because they want to get to Margot and then make it back in time for prom. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, they picked them up at graduation, which they went to naked. And then the prom is afterwards, which I think is more how our proms are done here in Canada than they are in the States. Not me. No? I had my grad after prom. Oh. Like, several months after prom. Really? I think I'm an anomaly. Yeah, you had a weird convocation in October. Yeah. So you're an outlier and should not be counted. I am Spider's George. <laughs> and he f- he does make it to prom and he dances with his friends and he has a good time. And I have a good time watching him. And I like that they've removed some of the sense of dread 
on the road trip and I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, however, I do think that the movie is a little bit watered down. I like it more, but I, I think they remove some of the complexity by making everyone more likable. It kind of dulls the edges of the message of the book, which is that people are very flawed and that's fine. Yeah, it's more of a teen comedy than anything else, right? Definitely. Which makes it like super digestible and a lot of fun, but it's it doesn't make you think about things too hard. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It takes away some of the touchy subjects and this is both of our content warnings. Like the gang does not think Margot's going to kill herself. That is not in it at all. And in the book, Lacey's got a straight up eating disorder and they they just cut that. That's gone. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, because it's not in the movie. Right. Margot's like, oh, sometimes she comments on my weight, but it's like she has a really strange relationship with her body and food. Right. It's not that she's a bad friend. It's just that she herself is going through some stuff as well because everyone in the book is going through some stuff. Yeah, the movie is like, there is one problem. We are all trying to solve the one problem problem which is finding Margot and then going to prom whereas the yeah. book is like we all have problems and we also have to save Margot yes yeah yes and Q's problem is Margot but yeah Q's problem is also like not realizing that he should be living his own life as well Q's problem is having somebody else as his problem yes everyone is like Q you need to like do other things like you're a couple weeks away from graduating high school forever you need to like live in the moment a little bit more like his parents his friends the detective everyone's like cute get it together and he does not no oh can i say something about john green's not discography but you know that his bookography bibliography his bookography i'm sticking with that okay. i'm doubling down on that so uh, this is kind of a spoiler alert for like the general vibe of The Fault in Our Stars, An Abundance of Catherines, and Looking for Alaska. Okay. So this was in Tumblr era. I followed a bunch of people who talked about John Green all the time and they were like, yeah, John Green's books are really, really sad. And then I started reading An Abundance of Catherines, which is a comedy. Which is my favorite one. Paper Towns is my favorite, but uh, Catherines is good too. And I was like, this is funny like is it a joke are people being sarcastic when they're saying he writes tragedies no he's shakespeare and he writes comedies and tragedies he writes the both so i was like oh he must be a comedy writer that's what he does and people are joking when they say that and then i started reading looking for alaska Oof. and i was like okay this is funny but not as funny as an abundance of catherine's and then something happens halfway through and it totally shifts the tone of the book. And I'm like, oh, no, which I this mean, is what people are talking about. You should have known about because it's literally it sets it up as before and after. You should have been like the after is probably going to be something sad. No, because I don't note foreshadowing in books. I live in the <laughs> moment, Amy. Hashtag live in the moment. Foreshadowing is a sham. <laughs> it was a huge surprise to me. I was like, this is the comedy book by comedy writer John Green. And then after that, I was like, okay, we'll go to another comedy. I'm sure any other book I pick up from him is going to be a comedy. I'm in the mood for something light. And I picked up The Fault in Our Stars. Oof. And I cried. The tears I cry are the tears you cry. And I cried forever. And it's a very, very sad book. It's got funny moments. Oh, yeah. But it's not a funny book. Yeah. So that was my experience with John Green. See, I started with The Fault in Our Stars. You just jumped headfirst into the deep end with that one. Yeah. And then I read <laughs> Looking for Alaska again. Oh, my goodness. Head first. And then I went to Paper Towns and I was like, man, is this ever going to like let up? Because like Paper Towns is not like fun times all the 
the time. It's definitely not. And then I finally read Catherine's and I was like, why does nobody talk about Catherine's? And it's like one of the only ones that doesn't have a TV series or a movie. And I'm like, we should have more abundance of Catherine's. And now as an adult, I'm like, ah, maybe we can keep abundance of Catherine's, you know, on, on the shelf, considering how it romanticizes being dumped. And it's kind of problematic with its representation of his Muslim friend. Mm. So not great. Not great, but still remains my favorite because it has it has fun times, though. Did you read Turtles All the Way Down? Let me tell you about Turtles All the Way Down. Okay. I have OCD. Yes. Turtles All the Way Down needs the biggest, like, bright red content warning for OCD. I had a panic attack two pages in. Oh, wow. It's not good. It wasn't good for me. I literally could not read it. I had to hand it back to my partner who gave it to me, and I was like, can you read me the the readable parts of this that aren't about OCD. There is a paper thin plot when you take that out and he read maybe half the book to me. So I have it and I didn't read it because I was in school when it came out. Um, and I was like, I, I don't have the time for this. I have to like read 18th century literature instead. And so like I put it aside, but my roommate at the time read it and she was like, it is pure anxiety all the way down. And I was yes. like, ever since I, I heard that, like it's one of the only John Green books that I haven't had the chance to read because well, I'm not there yet emotionally. If you have OCD or anxiety and you're planning to read Turtles all the way down, I recommend to you one, don't. <laughs> or two, do what I did and find someone who doesn't have anxiety or OCD and get them to read you the readable parts and skip everything else. Or three, uh, do it while being followed with therapist as exposure therapy, maybe. No, <laughs> it's too much. I've read two other books where people had the specific type of OCD that I had and it was fine. This one dwells on it uh, 500 times more than any person <laughs> needs to. I mean, I mean, John has like mental health issues so that that checks out. But also, no. <laughs> Fair. Um, I think the moral of the story is no John Green character is the pinnacle of a healthy mental attitude. That's true. See, we imagine people complexly. They have multitudes. We're, we're better than Q. Okay, so that is our review of every book by John Green. Yes, so may I give you my rating scale? Oh yeah, this is your book. This is my book. Surprise, surprise. On a scale of... Uh, <laughs> oh no. One to ten oh, God. deserted strip malls. What would you rate this book? Oh, deserted strip malls. I was like, deserted shit malls? <laughs> deserted strip malls? Yeah. Um, I would rate this book nine deserted strip malls. It's good. I really like this book. This is my favorite John Green book, personally. And as we know, I love John Green books. I am a huge fan of young adult fiction. I think it is a very legitimate form of literature. I think if this is what you enjoy, go ahead and enjoy it. Have a good time. You do you. And this one is very fun. I think it's very funny. I do think that someone should have edited in and like a little editor's note. Hey, maybe we should make the other girls in this more complex because they are girls. They're like high school girls. Yeah, I mean, John has gotten a lot better at writing women. Yes, I do think that. And I think 
the fact that it's from the perspective of a guy who doesn't really care about anyone else's life doesn't help. No. The fact that the other characters aren't well-rounded, that he doesn't spend a lot of time with, and he only spends a lot of time with Ben and Radar. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense in the context of the story. I just wish that the other characters could have a little bit more complexity like Angela and Lacey like they do in the movie. But that could just be because I've seen the movie and the movie to me is almost perfect. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this so much right now and I don't have the book here so I can't reread it, but I am gonna like when we're off this call, I'm gonna go play Stardew Valley and watch Paper Towns. <laughs> Where are you gonna watch it? Do you have the DVD? No, is it not on um on the Netflix anymore? It's not on Netflix. Fuck, I'll figure it out. <laughs> So yeah, I like this book. Do you like this book? I love this book. How many strip malls would you rate this book? Like 9.5. Half of that is just the ones that are being destroyed, you know? Or if you're looking at the world of suburban Orlando that this is set in, uh, one that got half built and then abandoned. Also, yeah. Because that's half of the settings in this book is just things that they had built half of and then abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell your friends, family, and or strangers on the street to listen to Unsighted, an English Lit Pod. We would love a review of five stars if that's how you feel about us on either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can also contact us through our handles at Twitter and Instagram, which is at unsightedpod or by email at unsightedpod at outlook.com. Please stop sending me your junk mail. Oh my God, I am tired of having business propositions that aren't real. Imagine if all those business propositions are like legit listeners who are like, hey, I think Chantel and Amy would be like really interested in opening this Swedish bank with me. In all caps. (laughs) Love it. Thanks, guys. So, yes. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. Ha! Take that, Zach. Took it back.